2: Encouraging younger generations and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk860, and Womentowatch.net. I'm thrilled to be in the studio this afternoon with two exceptional women who I will introduce in just a moment. Um, if you're listening and you'd like to join the show, we would always uh, welcome your participation and um, questions for our guests. You can dial 888 329 that's 888-329-3306. That's 888 329 3306 And also a reminder to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we post a lot of wonderful photographs of our women and um, some information on upcoming events all around uh, women to watch. A quick thank you as well to our sponsors who help me to bring you the show every week in Trust Financial. Holy Redeemer Health System, Marketron Incorporated, and Mount St. Joseph Academy. So I am pleased to welcome, I have two women, as I mentioned. One is with me in the studio, and the other is calling by phone. In the studio with me is Joanna, I'm sorry, excuse me, is Julia Klein. Julia is the chairwoman and CEO at C.H. Briggs Company, which is one of the largest independently-owned distributors of specialty building materials on the East Coast. And on the phone, we have Joanna Drake-Earl, who is the general partner at Core Ventures Group. Uh, Core Ventures Group is a seed stage technology startup fund that invests in serial entrepreneurs. Uh, Julia, welcome to the show. Hi, Susan. Thank you. And Joanna, welcome to you as well. Thank you. Glad to have you. Uh, we Julia and I had an opportunity to chat a little before the show because she was here with me in the studio and I mentioned to her that I, I always think it's important to uh, give the listeners and the audience a, a, a little bit about your background and, and where you came from. And I thought I would start with you, Joanna. Um wondered if you might be able to tell me where you grew up and a little bit about your backstory, your family, um, some aspirations as a young woman, and perhaps uh, any challenges that you faced on your path to your current position.
0: Sure. Well, those are a lot of uh, prompts and questions, so I'll try to be (laughs) distinct. Okay. Uh, But I I grew up, uh, for the most part, in Chicago and uh, still have very strong ties here, where I'm actually calling from today. I serve on the board of uh, a business that my family owns that's held by my stepmother, who is also a C200 organization member that you'll hear about. So I'm back here quite frequently, but I moved out to the West Coast to attend college at the University of California at Berkeley, and then stayed on for a master's degree at Stanford and have been residing there ever since. It's very hard to move away once you get plugged into the innovation ecosystem in Silicon Valley. Mm. And the summary of my career arc is after leaving Stanford, I joined Booz Allen in Hamilton for about five years where I was consulting with some of the leading media, entertainment, and then tech companies and then had a long stint where I began many media tech startups. And the most well known of which is a company called Current TV, which is co founded by Vice President Gore and business partner Joel Hyatt. And as a founding executive there, I had the great privilege of building that company over almost a decade, predominantly a COO, and creating one of the first social media companies before there was a category. Mm. Very quickly after Current, I uh, took a little bit of time to do angel investing and advising as I was figuring out my next career move. I joined a very uh, now preeminent female angel investor group called Broadway Angels, and in the course of advising early-stage founders and investing, I found that my background as an operator building companies from scratch, in addition to my network to talent in the Silicon Valley ecosystem, was so strong that it gave me a, uh, an advantaged position as a seed stage investor. At the same time, I saw that there was a lack of female founders, despite their tremendous potential and market vision getting funded, and so it inspired me to join forces with a partner in Core Ventures Group, which is a relatively young seed stage investment fund.
2: Joanna, was your, um, your dream to go into business when you were a young woman? Is it something you always wanted to do?
0: It, it is true that I always fantasized about wearing business suits since the age of seven or eight. Um, my father was an international <laughs> business person. In fact, we relocated to Japan when I was only eight years old, and that began a lifelong attachment to the Japanese market, which is also an important part of our fund today. Uh, and my mother and my stepmother are, have both been very successful businesswomen, so I've been surrounded by inspirational leaders around me and um Truth be told, I've been tagging along with the C200 organization since I was in my early 20s as a guest, and have had have been very privileged to have a lot of inspiring women ahead of me in regards to being a, a pioneer in female. Founded businesses and running large, uh, run, running large businesses, including a stint as the CEO of a public mobile company.
2: Right, you know, and I, I should mention that the reason I have both Joanna and Julia with me today is they are both members of uh, the Committee 200, which is a foundation um, that supports and and celebrates and helps to advance women uh, business leaders. Um, Julia, why don't you talk uh, just for a few minutes about your background, where you grew up and and went to school and and perhaps your aspirations. Sure. One of the things I
3: just love about hearing other women's stories, especially in the Committee of 200 ecosystem, is that everybody is so different. Um, My story couldn't be any more different from Joanna's, (laughs) and, and yet we share the same desire to foster and celebrate and encourage other women in business leadership. Um, I grew up in Reading, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, um, in a uh, small, uh, small city, uh, in a small family where both of my grandfathers and one grandmother were entrepreneurs. My father's an entrepreneur, and I'm a third-generation family business owner. I bought the company in 1990, so a long time ago at yeah. this point. But I grew up with absolutely zero interest in business, zero, less than zero. I thought it was... <laughs> Um, unpleasant not interesting all kinds of things and um, to my father's great credit he would always just smile and say "Mm -hmm," so you know maybe you'll come around at some point What were you interested in I I, I wanted to be an FBI agent I wanted to be a lawyer I wanted to skate in the ice capades (laughs) I I didn't have uh, I, I didn't dream for one second about wearing a business suit didn't even dawn on me that that would be an interesting thing to do I was an undergraduate political science major at the College of Worcester in Ohio, a wonderful small liberal arts school um, where I now serve as a trustee. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, did a a bit of a a stint in the nonprofit world and realized that that was not for me. I went to graduate school at the University of Chicago. Uh, Joanna and I have that great Chicago connection uh, together. And um, then went to Washington to uh, work on political campaigns. And I did that for a number of cycles for all kinds of fabulous candidates, Um, some who won, more who lost, Uh, (laughs) but just terrific experience Uh, building a campaign. Uh, You know, we're in such a a political uh, environment right now. Uh, Campaign work is the ultimate kind of entrepreneurial startup and ultimate meritocracy in many ways. So I learned a great deal um, in my political life, including having the great good fortune of uh, working for an entrepreneur in uh, Northern Virginia as he was running for Lieutenant Governor. Um, his name is Don Byer. He's now a congressman. He was a former ambassador. He's probably in Philadelphia today for the convention. And I'm always uh, grateful to his example of being an entrepreneur and a civic and political leader. And it was really his example that encouraged me to go back to my family business, buy in, buy the company, and um, the the last twenty four years or so
2: uh,
3: have gone by really quickly
2: yeah and and we should mention a very non traditional um industry that you 're in you know uh, the, the building industry and um I I wanted to ask you real quickly what your grandmother did as an entrepreneur because Uh, that was, you know, unlikely back then.
3: Sure. The C.H. Briggs Company was founded in my grandparents' garage. It's one of those terrific all-American entrepreneurial success stories. Oh, I love that. And um, my grandfather, C.H. Harry Briggs, Mm -hmm. and my grandmother, Georgiana Briggs, worked together side by side. I have wonderful memories of um, her beautifully manicured nails um, holding a pencil, working the adding machine really quickly. <laughs> so they they built the company together, mm-hmm. um, and that was a, a great
2: role model for me. Yeah, wonderful. Um, you you mentioned you had a son any aspirations for him to go into the family business. That's a loaded question, I'm sure. if he's no, listening. He'll he'll be
3: a senior in college. He's uh, uh, like many millennials, has a real global outlook, um, is uh, uh, f- uh, f- uh, multilingual. Um, interested in all kinds of things around the world. Um, I don't think that coming back to Redding's really in his worldview right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the truth is you can do business anywhere today. He wouldn't have to be there. Um, You mentioned the political climate, and and certainly um, we have a lot going on here in Philadelphia with the DNC, and I had the privilege of sitting down with Gloria Allred yesterday um, downtown in in Philadelphia and to talk about her role there and and what she um, was hoping would be the outcome. She's a delegate for California. What I wanted to ask both you and Joanna is, what is it you hope to see should we see the very first woman ever as president? um joanne i'd like to start with you what you know there's we we are all involved in in lots of things um organizations and workshops and um things that help support women and advance the leadership but i'm wondering if there's something in particular that you would like to see come about should we actually elect the first female as the president
0: well we're on our way out there to join in the activities on wednesday so we'll be cheering along for hillary clinton um, I've had the uh, the fun and opportunity to watch her career for quite some time. My stepmother grew up with her in the suburbs of Chicago, attending ballet class and church and eventually junior high school. So we've had a, a great chance to watch her career on the sidelines and have been so impressed with her over the years and what she has achieved as a, a leader on so many fronts that um, it's so exciting that the most qualified candidate happens to be a woman this time around um, and Assuming she becomes the next president, I think it will be such a a breakthrough uh, um, for multiple fronts of leadership across business, politics, and almost every avenue for the country. It's not unlike what we have faced in regards to the dismal numbers of representation of female leadership in tech companies and particularly in venture capital. But what we're finding is that as we see a couple of the pioneers breakthrough established tremendous track records have unequivocal impact, both um, performance results and um, ability to be collaborative in the ecosystems that they cultivate and thrive through. Uh, It it fosters a terrific pipeline of talent coming in that might not have been inspired before. So as we, um, being members of C200, we've seen that at play in regards to Women taking on very significant operational um responsibilities for companies the the um the total c two hundred member companies actually generate more than one point four trillion dollars in annual revenues and i I in my own corner of silicon Valley am really excited about um females growing the numbers of C-level and founders of tech companies, as well as the venture capitalists who, of course, control the destiny of so much of the gazillions of dollars flowing into new companies. And I think uh, having Hillary Clinton at the helm of the country um, will propel women on, on so many sectors and so many roles, and I couldn't be more excited.
2: Um, Let's talk about that for a second, because we have definitely seen um, numerous historic firsts over the past couple of years for women. And I I jotted down uh, just a couple of them, obviously, Hillary Clinton, uh, Theresa May, the British prime minister, Christine Lagarde, the head of the International Monetary Fund, Angela Merkel, Chancellor of Germany, Janet Yellen, uh, chair of the Federal Reserve, and Mary Barra. CEO of General Motors. What I wanted to ask both you and Julia was, do you believe we're, we're at a tipping point? You know, where do you feel this, uh, these, these uh, accomplishments really put us as a country? Um, Julia? Well, th- this is a
3: half, glass half full, glass half empty kind of question, I think. Um, sometimes we say, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I'm not sure I really believe that, but I do believe with my entire heart that if you can see it, you can be it. So now we have women in public life around the globe uh, leading countries, leading organizations, really setting policy at the highest level. And that is a, a vision that every little girl in this country and countries around the world can look at and say, I can see that, so I can be that. And I, I don't think we can underestimate the really critical importance of that. Um, I believe we're at a singular point in time when I, – I don't know that it's a tipping point per se, but we're at the point where this is no longer unusual. What, what's unusual is, in the United States, our really dismal numbers in terms of public leadership compared to countries all around the, all around the globe – um, if you look at board leadership, which is something the Committee of 200 is focused on, uh, we really have not moved the needle at all um, over the last 10 years. So there is there is lots and lots of work to be done in encouraging young women um, to look at business, to look at public life as important uh, career paths, and also to have young men uh, understand that we're all better when there's lots of diversity and lots of different kinds of thinking around the table. Um, as we see more, we're able to create more of that environment, and that has wonderful benefits for the globe. Yeah. Joanna, what are
0: your thoughts on that? Well, I think Julia articulated. Uh, her perspective so beautifully and and it resonates with me I I certainly hope we're at that tipping point I'm, I'm not a global political expert but in my own realm of tech companies and startups and investing in particular what I've noted is that many of the characteristics that that ten, women tend to have and, and thrive with in regards to um, calm under stress collaboration uh, ego lists, analytics can be brought to bear um, certainly in important business decision making and company building and investing, just as they can on the world stage in regards to political decision making and partnership development. And and so I'm, as I said, I couldn't be more excited about seeing this change happening the world over, as well as across different business sectors.
2: And I, I would say that you know. Just mentioning the women I just did has to be, has to point to the fact that we are we are somewhere much further than we have been, <coughs> excuse me um, in the past, and so I, I do think that it 's an incredibly exciting time for women, and there are those examples of seeing it and and being it for the younger generation. Um, I guess one of the obvious questions and, and one that I ask often on the show is why do you believe we still have so far to go? We have had how many women pioneers ahead of us that have been doing, uh, maybe not in the same way, but the same—they've uh, had the same motivation to really encourage women to step out and lead across all industries. Is it a cultural uh, barrier? Is it um, family responsibilities? Is it um, a lack of confidence? You know, just kind of what's in women's DNA. Um, Julia, tell me what your thought is on that, or is it a combination of all of those things and more?
3: Well, well I was going to say yes, yes, and yes, <laughs> and, and, uh, until you said the DNA part, and that yes. I'm not so sure of. Okay. But I, I think there, um, there there's a, a myriad of reasons uh, that we um, don't have the kind of uh, results that we're looking for in terms of shared leadership and shared val- creating shared value um, across industries and ac- across our country. I think all of those things matter. Um, what you're trained to do, what you're interested in doing, who encourages you, um, how you get moving, who supports you and sponsors you and mentors you, all and where you look for opportunities. I think all of those things are true. Confidence, completely. But you get confidence from taking risk and um, living through it. And where do you learn to take a risk? Um, hopefully you've... Uh, had experiences as a kid, as a student, growing up, to do that, but not everybody has. There is absolutely um, conscious and unconscious bias in uh, in the in the workplace, in public life, everywhere. All of those things are true. So I think when you look at what what's real and how do you overcome that, I know that I feel um, really compelled to um, help other women. Uh, to help uh, entrepreneurs grow companies, to help students think about business and public service in new ways, uh, to encourage and mentor everywhere I can so that those kinds of reasons uh, start to be minimized.
2: And Joanna, I wanted to ask you, working in in Silicon Valley in the tech industry, um, I know that I have learned uh, some of the reasons why, we should and do need more women in technology. Can you tell me, you know, explain to the to the listeners what it is that you've seen as a benefit to having women in this field?
0: Sure. Uh, well, I'll give you a, um, a specific example, and that is in regards to uh, funding female founders. So I had, as I mentioned, been involved in the startup of several media tech companies, three to be exact, and then I had a public COO role in a mobile company, um, taking a break, and as I was angel investing and advising, one of the things that struck me uh, to my core was that I was seeing a lot of fantastic female founders who had terrific backgrounds, had very strong market visions, well thought through business models, uh, and looked very well poised to raise money and become founders of startups. But they were indeed having, they were really struggling to raise money. And it's not surprising if you think about the dynamics where, you know, anywhere from um, 90, I guess it's 92 to 96 percent of the venture funds are, uh, are, are and include all male partners making the decisions about where the funding goes. And it's not necessarily any, Uh, malicious intent on the part of the investors, but what I witnessed myself is that there were either um, in probably, let's see, six of the female founders that I ended up investing in, they were either not being taken seriously as having the capacity to build a successful startup from scratch, or they were going after a market that their audience just did not see and didn't understand. And so as we think about how do we get more diversity in the body of decision makers around where venture capital goes, you can imagine that there will be far more compelling and impactful companies with interesting solutions and services for corners of the consumer and enterprise audience that have not been well represented by virtue that they don't have the same experiences or look like the investors behind the venture funds. So I think that um, is an area where I'm really focused and where I was inspired to take a seat on the other side of the table and, in fact, become an investor. And I think um, the results that we've been able to show through, for example, in the Broadway Angels, which I mentioned as a preeminent female angel investor group, in regards to the performance of the investments with a much higher degree of diversity represented in the founder classes and in the boards, I think that bears out for not only uh, market performance and results for the investors and the founders, but also breakthroughs in regards to the kinds of products and services that we can bring to market to female audiences and other diverse constituencies that are underserved today. Mm
3: -hmm. And there's all kinds of research that shows that when boards are more diverse, when funders are more diverse, and management teams are more diverse, results are better and when it comes right down to it that data matters and when results are better that's the that's
0: what moves the needle and it's not i'll say it's not from first hand experience it's not always comfortable so i'm in a uh, our seed fund is just my uh, partner shinya Akamine and myself and he happens to be born in japan so he's japanese by nationality although he grew up himself in silicon valley and founding companies but because we come at problem-solving from such different perspectives with such different backgrounds. I also, Julia, was a political scientist by training in undergrad. He was a uh, electrical engineering um, that we, as we think about, opportunities for investment or even how we help founders solve problems and build their companies. We're coming at each conversation with such different perspectives that we confess at least weekly to each other that we're making each other very uncomfortable. (laughs) But the end result is probably more rigorous analysis and a more thought through perspective um, on where we should be investing and how we can help companies be successful.
3: I think that's a great point. When you have diversity of experience and backgrounds and styles around the table, it doesn't make it easy and smooth by by definition, but it does make the results better. And I think that's where we need to keep our focus.
2: And, and you know, we use the word innovation often, and I think that's where innovation comes from. If you if you constantly have the same people with the same background um, around a table trying to be creative and, and thoughtful, chances are you're going to – continually have the same outcome. Um, that kind of leads me to, to a question I had for, for both of you, Then, and what do you believe the role is that men should play in trying to help foster more diversity, in particular women, um, whether it's uh, mentoring, sponsoring within corporations, or perhaps um, demonstrating their support of, of having more women leaders um, at events and organizations? What really... What is the role that you believe they should play, Julia? Well, one of the things that I tell all my my male friends who are to a person
3: great guys, is that it's not enough to be a good guy. You know, it's not enough to not be blatantly discriminatory. It's not enough to um, not ignore just to not ignore people that, that being being a good guy is um, it does not help us move the needle, and it doesn't help their daughters fulfill their dreams. So wh- when, when I say that, I'm, I'm often greeted with looks of almost astonishment because to a person. Uh, my, my male friends all know they're good guys, right? They, they don't have a, a biased bone in their body. But it has not dawned on them to invite a woman colleague to play golf, to make sure that uh, she's included in the conversation if she seems to be ignored. So as soon as they can turn that corner and realize that they have something proactively that they can do uh, to encourage their women colleagues, to bring them more into the conversation, to sponsor and mentor and promote, uh, that's when the light bulb goes off and things really start to happen. Uh,
2: why, but why are they not asking women for their input? You know, that's, that's what I want to know. Why, where is the lack of uh, knowing that their colleagues, their female colleagues, um, might have something to offer, might have some ideas.
3: Yes, you know, I wouldn't want to paint a huge... I know, and I I don't want to. Right, of, of,
2: you know, I don't speak for
3: all womankind, and I wouldn't speak for all mankind here as as well. Uh, But I I think our our cultural norms are so deeply ingrained that it's often easy to just uh, overlook, to not pay attention, to not step out to be helpful. To not make a, a purposeful move to be encouraging, and as soon as uh, the good guys really recognize that uh, they, they they change behavior and and get and get right to it. So some of the best sponsors and mentors, especially in larger corporations, some of the best that i've seen, um, are some terrific men, and then there's a huge responsibility, I believe, for women
2: to help other women. As well, yeah, Joanna. I'm wondering if there's any personal experiences you could share where where you've worked with a a gentleman in in the technology field, and perhaps you've witnessed them have kind of an aha moment, you know, working with you. Sure. Well, I I
0: think Julia was making two primary points. One about what you can do if you actually are a male executive in a corporation to advance uh, sponsorship of women, and then the women's role themselves, right? I'm happy to speak to both. On the former, I I had a a terrific experience where um, in the founding of Current TV, I had uh, an amazing uh, male boss and sponsor who gave me all end of opportunities within the company to play significant leadership roles in areas that I didn't have experience with. So I I felt quite sponsored, and not only that, but uh, truth be told, we closed funding for the ppm of current tv the friday before i went into labor with twins on a monday <laughs> and went back to work within two weeks and um... i don't really remember that first year of building the company and building the twins but um... we, we were operational with the twenty four seven cable network and an online production studio and what i found over the course of the next couple of years which were not unchallenging for me as a mother and of a company and twins was that the flexibility that they instituted into the working environment for me was enormous Mm. and they joked before i went into labor that the best thing that you could ever do is hire a woman who's type a on bed rest because all she can do is work all day (laughs) And maybe that's how we got the the funding closed but after (laughs) after um the girls were born to their great credit they gave me all latitude in the world to work the way I wanted to even though I had large teams reporting to me and eventually uh, international properties as well and uh, i managed to balance that out and hopefully I hope my daughters will say be successful on both fronts so really having open-mindedness about the way women are working particularly if they happen to have children and young children in particular I think is really a proactive important thing to do I will also say that I think you know it's incumbent on male uh, colleagues and executives to support promotions and very specifically to support uh compensation that's at the same level as male peers if not more. Uh you know I think there's a tendency and the data bears this out to undercompensate females in similar roles and we also know historically women are not great advocates of themselves when it comes to negotiating their compensation. So I've had instances where I've been promoted into the same role of a male and been offered lower compensation but, you know, was able to call my sponsors and uh, boss to the mat and get that addressed and uh, proceed to be effective at arguing for equal compensation over time. And I think that equal compensation gives you the confidence and eventually the platform to also continue to assume more and more roles. Um, I also think there's a stylistic element that has to do, you know, we know that women talk more. They use a lot more words per minute and per hour. And uh, there's a tendency to um, not hear them if it's especially if it's a room full of mostly males and few females. But uh, the women need to figure out how to cut through and be effective with more concise communication patterns. but I also think it's important for men to figure out how to adapt to female communication styles as well, and there's probably a happy medium somewhere in the middle, but I have had the experiences in my career where I've been told to not be who I am, to let my hair down, to play a different role, to go take the guys out drinking, and that's really not my style, and I don't appreciate that feedback because I don't find it particularly professional, but I do like feedback that helps me be more succinct and effective in um, in a conference, in a presentation format, especially if it's a predominantly male audience. Mm-hmm. So I think those are constructive, almost tactical things that male peers and supporters can adopt. And then, I, I, as Julia said, I think it's very important for female executives to invite uh, female uh, colleagues and uh, friends and up-and-comers to the table, you know, of my cohort of professional women, I find that none of them have the problem of leaning out, uh, sorry, leaning in. They don't have a problem with leaning in. In fact, they probably need to learn how to lean out a little more on an individual basis, but what they could all benefit from which we've been forming groups to uh, organize around this principle but really in making sure that women are represented at the table whether it's boards or conferences or up-and-coming pipeline of talent so for example i was uh, invited to one of the most um, preeminent and um, private uh, venture backed entrepreneur meets venture capital annual tech conferences about seven years ago and have been attending every year, but I almost didn't go the first year because when the um, when the venture capitalists who invited me to attend came to see me, I really loved the format and the opportunity to be present with all these amazing entrepreneurs and investors. But I asked him, uh, may I please have the invitation list because I need to justify to my company that I can take two and a half days off to go. Um, participate and when I got the invitation list I was very disappointed to see I think it was probably 7% females in the 175 slots so I just went back to him and said you know what I I love the format I really like what you're doing and I would very much like to participate but I'm frankly uncomfortable that there's so few women represented he said well you know I've been trying really hard to invite high caliber women but they don't seem to want to come or I can't find them and I said I'll tell you what I'll make a deal with you I will come if you give me Uh, you know, up to 15 slots for women that I promise will be as high caliber as the males attending, and I will do the invitation. And he said, sure, you got it. And uh, lo and behold, fast forward seven years, uh, the representation of female execs from from even the Silicon Valley environment, which does not have a lot of female women in founder positions and investor groups, is, is unusually high. So I think there is an opportunity for all of us to invite more female colleagues to whatever table we're sitting at and sponsor
2: them as well. I agree. I agree. And isn't it so typical of women to to see a problem and, and take charge and do something about it? and um, we're going to take a, a very quick break for our sponsors. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, C200 and, and how it's top-tier women and how we might be able to um, help some of the women that are climbing their way up there. We'll be right back. two three 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 one seven seven. That's msjacad.org or two one five two three 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 one seven seven. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this afternoon by Julia Klein, Chairwoman and CEO at C.H. Briggs Company, and Joanna Drake-Earl, who's calling in. Joanna, where are you calling from? I I didn't get to ask you. I'm calling in from Chicago. From Chicago. Um, And Joanna is a general partner at Core Ventures Group. Uh, One of the things I had just mentioned to Julia was that um, I'm I'm often interested in women's philosophy for managing people, Um, women who have achieved uh, the levels that you both have. What is your own personal philosophy for um, trying to generate enthusiasm from your team and and your employees and have them feel as though the work that they are doing um, matters? Uh, Julia, I'll start with you.
3: Well, this is a question that could take all afternoon. Oh. I think it's so interesting. <laughs> um, you know, my philosophy such that it is and my style has really evolved um, over my time leading this company. Um, I, I only had one model when I was 28, 29 and, and starting out, um, and, and that was my father. We only worked together for a couple years. years. Um, since then, I've had to uh, establish more of my own style. Now, that was a long, a long time ago. And uh, the Committee of 200 has really played an essential role for me in showing me lots of different ways that women can lead. And there's not one male way and one female way. And the most important thing is to develop your own way. I was very highly influenced by a management thinker named Warren Bennis, who taught at uh, UCLA for many, many years? And his philosophy was you have to be, become more and more of yourself as a leader. And that really resonated with me. Uh, I think the challenge for all of us is becoming more and more of ourselves. What, what does that mean in different stages um, of our lives and at different ages? Um, in, in our company, uh, we, we've had tremendous growth, we've had a down cycle through the construction industry. We, we've been lots of different companies over the course of time. and i've I've come to believe uh, really fundamentally for women that um, if you don't want to deal with a glass ceiling, then build your own house. But if you build your own house as an entrepreneur, uh, you can be very much on your own. and that that can be a scary and risky place to be. So I've learned um, to my my management philosophy, my leadership approach, Um, I've learned from watching others, asking lots of questions, and trying to pull out the best um, from the people around me. Um, I've been very, very fortunate. Um, I've had tremendous uh, success in creating a great team at all levels in the company uh, who've really been able – I've I've learned from them um, as much as they've learned from me, certainly. Um, And we've been able to create a a team environment – that's been able to succeed over a very long period of time. My approach is uh, uh, more collaborative, uh, more hands-off, I have to say, um, particularly now at this age and stage of my life when I have a professional management team that can really run the company. They don't need me, and they're not terribly interested in anything I have to say on a minute-by-minute basis, which is great. That's exactly what um, I've been working for for many years. But cultivating... Uh, the, that team, attracting and retaining that kind of high-caliber talent, um, has been uh, critical, I think, to the success of our company.
2: I, I love what you said about, you know, working harder and harder to be yourself. Mm-hmm. I think, that, you know, the more that you do that as a leader, the more trust you gain from from the people that are working with you. Um, Joanna, what's your leadership style?
0: Well, I, I think it's different in different contexts, uh, In in the role of a seed-stage investor, we're not managing troops, per se, Mm. and if anything, uh, our model is to work uh, effectively for the founder's charter uh, that we have invested in, and and we roll up our sleeves and help them with all aspects of their business. That's actually not dissimilar as I reflect on it for the style that I had as I was running large teams around the world and scaling businesses, and that is that... um, My approach is typically to to work for those who technically report up to me, and what I mean by that is I've always seen my role as responsible for taking the company objectives, helping them to understand what their roles are in order to achieve those objectives at the same time that I'm pulling away hurdles from their successful achievement of those objectives and supporting their own career growth. If I, I, if I look back at some of the personality and professional uh, diagnostics I've taken, I actually have a very good pro- profile for working in early-stage startups and building from scratch. One of the uh, old-fashioned career roles that maps to my skill set is fire brigade, which I think means you know, in the middle of changing environment and chaos and pressure – helping to sort through where are the exit ways, how do we marshal people, how do we move forward safely with momentum. And, uh, and so that's, that's, I think, always been my approach, regardless of the context, whether I'm directly managing or, or managing the objectives for f- founders that we're in- investing in. You, you did say one thing earlier that I thought was really important, and that had to do with in- inspiration for employees and colleagues. and and C-level teams. What I have found throughout my career is that it's very hard to motivate employees with just cold um, dollar metric goals, Um, but instead, if you have a company that has a meaningful mission that provides each employee with a sense of purpose when they come into work in the day, they will be motivated far more than the, the potential for big upside compensation or even hitting certain tactical um, metrics and cultivating a meaningful mission in the culture of companies I think is really important. And we're at a very exciting stage, I believe, in the startup world. When we started Current TV, it was one of the very few uh, venture-backed startups with a commercial business model, but that also had an underlying social mission, and that was to provide a platform to voices that were not heard in some of the most powerful media outlets in the world. Fast forward, I see many venture, uh, not many, but some (laughs) large and growing venture groups as well as certainly many startups these days who actually are embedding in their corporate charters and missions a purpose and not just to get a product to market or break through with the technology but to have a meaningful impact on the world. And I think that in the end is the most inspirational environment for uh, young talent to work in. Mm -hmm. I think
3: that's a terrific point, and and I would build on that and say that um, people can find purpose and meaning everywhere, everywhere. Um, In our company at C.H. Briggs, um, our customers build beautiful and useful things, Um, gorgeous buildings, beautiful residential environments, uh, operating rooms, education facilities, Um, things that really have meaning. And and our customers, um, small and mid-sized manufacturers, architects and designers, um, are are creating environments that are really important in their communities. They're the backbone of the American economy in many, many ways. And and that might not be super sexy to some people. It is to me. It depends (laughs) on how you describe it. it. (laughs) (laughs) But, But there is real meaning in helping those entrepreneurs grow their businesses, and create those environments. And, and that motivates us every day. And I, I think i take it even a step further and say that there's purpose and meaning and opportunity in all kinds of industries, in all kinds of towns. I think it's, it's really easy um, to listen to Joanna and the incredible things she and her teams are doing in Silicon Valley um, that, that is sexy, like by <laughs> definition. Um, but it's only a half step to me to, to look at companies like Briggs with lots of trucks and lots of warehouses and lots of inventory and find real purpose and meaning in growing that part of the economy too in in small cities and kind of forgotten industries all around the world. And it's I think the ability to see that and communicate it is what, uh, attracts uh, talent and retains talent,
2: um,
3: and encourages people to grow.
2: Yeah, I, I so agree with that. I think it's it's important to um, focus on what that end result is. What kind of impact are you having as a company, and make sure that the people that are working for you are reminded of that and see it, and not get caught up in in just the kind of the day to day tasks. But the, you know, the top companies today, as Joanna mentioned, are so much more focused on having something purposeful or a cause or a mission tied to um, their industry, and we're seeing that more and more, and I think millennials are looking for that. They're, they're talking about that. Um, here's a question for both of you. If you had the opportunity to stand in front of a room of young women who are college uh, in college and, and um, you know just about to graduate, and you think about the experiences that you have both had in your kind of non-traditional industries as a woman, and and really found such great success. What's the first thing that comes to mind for you that you would want to say to these young women um, to encourage them to you know to believe in their own capabilities as they venture out? Um, Joanna, do you want us to take that first? Sure. Well, I I love a motto that my uh, stepmother
0: uses all the time. It's actually the um, the DSC logistics business model as well, which is ready for for anything. And I think that um has been a, a helpful uh guidance uh post for me over the years because at the end of the day no matter how well you think you are planning your career, inevitably it takes different turns and um and areas of emphasis. So when I had left Stanford I had actually spent years studying US Japanese business and was very inspired to either work for a Japanese company in Silicon Valley or a Silicon Valley company in Japan. Um, But I was finding at the time that the businesses were not appreciating the years I had put into language, culture, political, science, studies, and really just wanted generalizable business experience. So it led me to Booz Allen & Hamilton where I was lucky enough on my first day on the job to get uh, the first strategy project in the film industry in Hollywood. And fast forward, I worked for three and a half years with some of the leading entertainment companies in Hollywood and then eventually back to Silicon Valley tech companies. It distracted me from a connection with Japan, um, but at the same time, it was one of the most exciting and uh, terrific experiences I had working with leading executives at a very young age and, frankly, very inexperienced in the Silicon Valley tech and the media and entertainment world and poised me eventually... To when I got bit by the startup bug to begin a series of media tech startups, some of which you've heard about today. So if there is anything I could say is, one, it's very hard to plan your destiny. I'm still working on my very long-term goal, <laughs> um, which has something to do with the U.S. and Japan. But uh, you've got to be prepared to take advantage of opportunities as they arrive. Mm. And you know, one one little plug, I think, in support of Julia's uh, perspectives on uh, her. What might be perceived as a more traditional industry. I sit on the board of DSC Logistics and it's at the forefront of thinking through supply chain and logistics solutions for Fortune 100 companies. And when I first joined the board, I have to admit, even though it was a family business begun by uh, my stepmother's father over 30 years ago uh, I'm sorry, over 50 years ago I, I thought, what am I doing here? You know, I'm a Silicon Valley tech kid. What do I have to add and you know, am I really interested in this business? And over the years I've come to realize that as Julie mentioned, you know, you think about the transportation, the logistics industry, it's at the backbone of everything in the you know, in our country, in the world. And there is some of the best talent now coming out of the top um undergraduate and grad programs coming in to think about what we can do with these incredible capabilities as they evolve, and how we better serve enterprise customer needs. And that it, that it that is terribly exciting and doesn't have to be the superficial sexiness of a, of a media tech startup out of Silicon Valley.
3: Mm, right. You know, I think I'd say three different things to a group of young women. Um, the Girl Scouts of the USA did a survey a couple years ago, and the girls said um, that they weren't really interested in business because what they wanted to do was – Um, something that helps other people, and something that changes the world. And they didn't see that business was a perfect vehicle to do that. So the first thing I would say is that business is a fantastic vehicle to um, make an important difference for others and to do all the things in the world that you think are important. And I'm not sure that that's a message that is very clear to young women at all. And part of what we're doing in the Committee of 200 is our reach out programs in high schools, colleges, and MBA programs to really stress that point. So so that would be my number one point. Um, I think number two, I would echo Sheryl Sandberg. Um, she wrote in the book, Lean In, that if you're going to have a partner, uh, pick the right one. You know, pick pick a part, pick really well. Pick somebody who's going to support and encourage and challenge you. And I would suggest that that choice of partner is more important than your college major, your uh, you know your ten-year plan, the industry in which you start, or the career skills that you use in the very beginning. Uh, that that's a critical decision, and um, probably uh, maybe a, a bit too touchy-feely uh, when you're giving a business presentation uh, with a group of young women um, or young men, for that matter. But I think that's a critical point. It's been. Uh, the, the number one factor in my, uh, my career success has been that I, I picked a terrific partner, my wonderful high school sweetheart. We've been married forever. Uh, that's the single most important decision that I've made. And then third, I think I'd say to a, a group of uh, young women kind of on the, on the cusp of um, jumping into the world, is, uh, uh, this is a little biblical, is to be not afraid, to, to step out and step in and lean in and give things a try and take risks. Uh, it sounds a lot easier than it is, but I think constant encouragement to not be afraid um, to try new things and try everything will will serve you well uh, no matter where your career
2: goes. Great advice but on both sides. I think it's always important to, to select people and align with people that, that lift you up and make you better. Um, I'd love to hear from both of you, you know, if you could share a personal challenge that you have faced that really was an experience that um, allowed you to gain a better perspective on your own level of confidence because you worked through it. Um, And it can be just something that's, you know, difficult for you um, day to day now. Um, outside of your profession, what are some of the things that are just kind of a challenge for you that as you work through them you can share with the listeners that, uh, you know, you too as, you know, um, someone who has been highly successful from a business standpoint, you have had your own adversities and challenges to overcome. You know, one of the things
3: I like best about the Committee of 200 group is that that I have – I'm surrounded by wonderful women of all ages And they have stories like you would not believe. You know, I look ahead and I see some women in in their 80s um, who've built fabulous businesses and then lost them. Mm. You know, markets changed. uh, Fraud happens. uh, Terrible illness happens. Bad decisions happen. They've built businesses, lost them, started new ones, completely changed careers, um, have become great philanthropists. And I, I look ahead and I say, oh, you know, if that's what the next 30 years looks like, that's fantastic. You know, it makes me know that resiliency um, is one of the most important skills you could possibly have. Um, you know, boy, among the many challenges I've faced, um, I, I think finding, finding the right style, I, I talked about that a bit earlier, um, as a young entrepreneur um, developing a style that was um, more inclusive, uh, that wasn't combative. That, that was hard for me to learn. Um, helping steer the company through a downturn, very, very challenging. Uh, fortunately, I have a t- terrific team around me. R- running a company through different life cycles, um, al- always difficult. And, uh, you know, being able to find the right combination of engaged and letting a team uh, really, really run on their own. Uh, that's a constant day in and day out uh, kind of battle. Um, you know, my goal is to get a little bit better at
2: it every single day. You mean let go of control? Yes. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Um, and I think what you said earlier ties to what Joanna was talking about, you know, being having the ability to um, pivot mm-hmm. and always being aware that, that everything you've uh, planned may not fall into place um that's such an important thing to be able to do joanna is there something that um you know comes to mind for you that that has really been a challenge for you uh day to day yeah
0: well I, and i don't know if it's uh just day to day but i certainly went through um experienced a chapter uh in one of my ventures where there was a change in the ceo ceo role my boss and uh very new culture instituted pretty quickly that was not um, in keeping with the core DNA and values of the company. And in the course of that um, management and cultural transition was really questioned and somewhat marginalized in regards to my own role and skill set. And um, we ended up agreeing that what m- my role, my style, my results were very different from what he represent coming into the company and I actually took a page from his book and said hey why don't we hire a consultant to see if they can't help us see each other's strengths and weaknesses and figure out how to be a complementary team together this is as I was playing the role of COO and as we all know a COO should and uh, should if effective fill in for gaps and be a, a complementary balance for the CEO depending upon their strengths and their vision and how they want to spend their time Well, we hired a consultant and uh, she came in and did uh, weeks of diagnostic work and interviews and she came back and she said, I've never worked with anyone who knows themselves better than you do. Here are all your strengths. You're exactly as you say you are. You've delivered these results to the company uh, for a very long time and these are the contributions you've made. And unfortunately, it appears that his culture and style does not fit the company and so I guess in hindsight I would say um, having the confidence to know oneself what one is good at being open to constructive criticism and different roles is very important but if you're confronted with what is ultimately an antagonistic situation that doubts your own capabilities I think to use different mechanisms to clarify what those (laughs) doubts and capabilities are and make sure that You are not marginalized in the process. And so that was a a tough experience that I went through. Came out the other end feeling that much more confident and um, effective in my ability to navigate waters with new CEOs and, for that matter, boards as they change culture.
2: What a smart thing to do to to bring in a third party, you know, and not, you know, sometimes um, that's so needed in kind of eliminating the. word i'm looking for when you're you know when you're struggling with with a colleague and you know you you're not meeting uh in the middle it's it's often really beneficiary to have a third party who comes in and and doesn't have the emotion yeah um listen we're we're at the end of the show uh it was a wonderful show full of great advice i'm so appreciative of both of you joining me this afternoon i know how busy you are uh julia i'll let you give the website for committee 200 so our listeners can check it out I think it's uh, c200.org. Okay, terrific. Joanna, thank you for joining us from Chicago. Thank you for inviting me. And everyone, that's it for this week of Women to Watch. Please uh, visit our website for more information at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Thank you, Julia. Have a great week, everyone.